Welcome, everyone. Episode three of Chase the Peace. I'm really excited to host Noelle Porter on this episode. She is a licensed child and family therapist and has been for 20 years. She specializes in working with victims of trauma, anxiety, and OCD in her private practice. Um, she's also almost a 10-year breast cancer survivor and volunteers for the Young Survival Coalition and Casting for Recovery. She's also married uh, to a man named Nathan, I'm a huge fan of, uh, and is a mom to two children, ages 11 and 14. Noelle has some really interesting insight as it relates to mental health, the things that technology is taking us away from and our kids away from. And she just really has a unique perspective on her life post breast cancer. So thank you for being here. We'll get started. Noelle, thank you so much for being here and, and spending some time. You know this, our big goal here is to normalize talking about mental wellness. And the secondary goal is get help, helpful tactics to manage stress, anxiety, and depression in our daily lives and our children's daily lives. Uh, to help them and us um, maintain wellness. So sincerely, thank you for your time. Thank you for um, having me. Absolutely. And, um, you know, reading your bio, uh, you're such an expert and um, I can't wait to dive into to some of this content with you today. So if you will, just tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do. Sure. So I am a licensed child and family therapist. I work with all age groups. So really young kids all the way to adults. And I primarily specialize in um, people who are maybe suffering with anxiety, OCD, um, or maybe have experienced some trauma in their life. I'm a firm believer that we could all use counseling of some sort, but at what point would you tell someone that they need to spend time with a therapist? Well, I mean, I, I think it, it really kind of depends because um Perhaps symptoms I'm experiencing might be um, more interfering, for lack of a better word, in my day-to-day -day than you experience them, right? Everybody's different. And so for me, it's like, okay, are you able to function in your day-to-day -day life, right? And if you are, then okay, then it's something that you're able to work through, you're able to process, and it's, it's not affecting you in a way to where, you know, I'd say it's a, a clinical chronic issue. Um, and so you just want to be careful with that, right? And it, there's no point in addressing something if there's nothing there to address. But at the same time, there are so many things in life that we are all dealing with. And I, going back to what you're saying, I'm a firm believer in therapy as well. And I feel is that, I mean, I'll, I'll have teenagers that come to me and I, I always tell these moms, like, you're awesome and amazing. They literally just send their teenagers to me just to have someone to talk to. There's nothing going on but they're teenagers. They're maybe experiencing middle school, um, which a lot of us can say, Ooh, middle school, right? Yeah, <laughs> or yeah, they're totally. maybe just experiencing what it's like to be a teenager in today's culture um, with technology and so forth. And so they, they'll just send their kids like maybe once a month, maybe every now and then as needed just to talk to someone other than their parents, which is pretty cool. Um, and I really kind of praise them, but I would say if I'm talking to a friend or talking to someone, I would just say, you know, do you, you know, I'm wondering if it would maybe help just to, to have talk to someone, you don't have to commit to it. A lot of people are nervous and they're like, oh, I, you know, they don't, they feel like they're committing to something that's so big or so there's a stigma behind it. But for me, it's like, no, all you have to do is go. And if you decide like mm, this, this therapist is not right for me, or I didn't like that, you don't have to commit. You went once and, and you're done. Right. I would perhaps then say if that therapist was not a right fit, definitely try 
to find someone else because you can always find someone that might be a right fit. And if I, I encourage that with my own clients, like, like if we're not a right fit, please don't stop here. Like try to find someone else. Uh, way to go parents for sending their teenagers to talk to someone. Yes. Uh, that's really cool. Cause it's, um, I, you know, it's like this, there's, there tends to be this stigma attached really to mental health in general, but therapy, you know, is like this, Oh, you know, right. um, how cool are those parents just to be like, Hey, yeah, just you know, talk to them. It's not therapy. You're just talking, right? right. <laughs> so right. It's, it's or really just cool. Normalizing like, Oh, I was talking to my therapist the other day and they mentioned da, 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 da. Right. I think yeah. that just by them normalizing that this is okay. And there's nothing wrong with that. Or even that it's okay to talk about your feelings. It doesn't even have to be with a therapist, right? It's just normalizing that we can speak out loud about how we're feeling. Um, there are not, there's nothing wrong with emotions, right? It's just important to express those emotions. And so, and express them in a way that you can still adapt and carry on your day-to-day life. Um, mm. So much of the time we're either taught, stuff it in, don't show it, or yeah. we're at another extreme where we're taught, explode every time you get dysregulated. Right. Yeah. Wow. That's so good, Noel. That's really helpful. You've had some personal experience with some of this, right? Because mm-hmm. we talked about when we were preparing, you've had some experience with anxiety. Can, tell us a little bit about that and some of the things you do to help manage that. Sure. So funny story. I So I specialize in anxiety um, and I know we'll touch on my history in a little bit, but uh, I, I was personally going through breast cancer and um, was doing really well with that kind of trucking through surviving the moments. And after I finished treatment, got through all of it was cancer free. I remember one night I had, um, all of a sudden felt really sick and kind of had extreme anxiety and my hands kind of curled up like this. They felt like they were frozen. And I thought, Oh my gosh, what's happening? I'm, I'm dying. What's going on? And we went to the hospital. And as soon as we walked into that emergency room, they handed me a brown paper bag and they told me to breathe into the bag. And I thought, no, 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 no. I know what anxiety is. No, 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 no. Like this is something's going on here. And sure enough, I was having a panic attack and didn't even know it. And had very few people that I've worked with that have actually had their limbs kind of curl up due to lack of oxygen, which basically meant I was hyperventilating. And so they were giving me a bag to calm myself down. And I was like, I'm dying. Like, I know I'm dying, right? Wow. (laughs) um, So just to give you a little piece of um, my experience with anxiety, I've always kind of experienced anxiety throughout my life. Um, But to specialize in something and to feel like you know it all, I'm a therapist, I know what this is. And then to experience it on a high level is completely different. And uh, honestly, I'm grateful for the experience. I get to share that with people and to normalize. We all experience this and it is, it's a scary feeling. So it's so crazy how anxiety manifests itself in physical ways. And um, I think that's always, that was the learning for me. um, Was that you think anxiety is strictly related to your mental health which it is, but it manifests in physical ways and um, just really yes. crazy. Now, have you had another episode like that or was that the only time that happened? Um, you know, I've had one other episode, and but I knew what it was right away. I wasn't rushing to the hospital. I just slowed my breathing down and, you know, all was good. I think power is knowledge. I mean, knowledge yeah. is power, sorry. And um, yeah. having that knowledge and knowing what it was, I was like, oh, okay, I got this. 
I know what this yeah. is. Um, yeah. Sometimes naming something helps us to kind of say, okay, I know what this is. Now I can work through it. Hmm. Yeah, that's great, man. <laughs> that's, it's like you're an expert and you're like, you're like, you're hyperventilating. You're like, no, 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 no. I know what this is. <laughs> right, right. Well, and uh, I, love, I love to share it because I think that so much of the time we're told what we're experiencing, right? We're told, oh hmm. no, this is it or this is it. And, you know, to normalize like, okay, yes, we, you know, that was anxiety and it was, but also to normalize, hey, I'm someone who does this for a living and I didn't yeah. get it. So yeah. just to normalize for someone else who, if they're in panic mode, like, what is this? What's happening to my body to say like, Hey, this is, it's okay. Like we're yeah. okay. Everything is okay. And it's okay that you went that way. Um, we all do. Yeah. And as a therapist, for my therapist to tell me, Hey, not only have I studied this, right. I've experienced it. You know, it's so helpful because it's like the biggest challenge with all of this is people feeling like they're alone. And I think it's because it manifests itself in so many different ways. People don't recognize it necessarily for for what it is. Right. Um, so really cool that you're you're able to tell that story, you yeah. know, as you're as you're treating people. Um, so what do you uh, anything specific that you do regularly to kind of manage any, you know, stress or anxiety? You mentioned some breathing. Are there any other things you do regularly? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, again, this is going back to normalizing. I mean, how many times have all of us heard, take some deep breaths, right? And sometimes we want to throw those deep breaths like against the wall and be like, you know, say all sorts of things. <laughs> um, and so I do kind of go into that even with my own clients, but for myself, that can be kind of hard. Sometimes I, I, um, I, I need to practice what I preach. Um, I believe, and I know why we're slowing our nervous system down by taking deep breaths. Um, so I try to do that, but I also try to like trick myself into it. Right. Um, so I try to do things. like just kind of bring myself back to the present is the most important thing. I think with anxiety, we try to get rid of the thought. Um, and it's the worst thing that we can do. It's kind of like telling someone like, Hey, don't think about a hippopotamus and a pink tutu. What's the first thing you thought about? Hippopotamus and a pink tutu. Right. So <laughs> the worst thing we can do is like, just get rid of the thought. Just don't worry about it. Right. So for me, it's more about regulation. And I try to practice what I preach. Like, okay, be in the present. You are okay. Are you okay right now? And I'll ask myself that. Am I okay right this second? Um, and then every time I try to get pulled into the future or the past, I just kind of bring myself back to the present with little tricks that basically utilize my, my senses to get me there. So it's something I see or something I smell kind of gets my mind off of those things. Uh, that's really interesting. So you, you acknowledge it. You're like, Hey, I'm feeling this, mm -hmm. uh, but I'm safe. And these are the different, you know, it, like, do you do the thing where you, um, name something you could smell, name something yeah. you could see is that, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's a, a grounding technique. It's so simple, but it's, it's so profound. Um, and then I, I tweak it a little bit depending on who I'm talking to or if I'm talking to myself. Um, and sometimes we can't hear a whole bunch of things at once and have a whole bunch of tools. And so instead I'm like, let's make it as simple as possible. So it might even be just like grab a candle, smell it. Right. Mm. And so that in itself is just grounding yourself. Um, and then if you can handle more tools in your toolbox, then we add those. And I, there are moments where I'm vulnerable and I'm like, I, I've got one tool in me and I will give it a go. Right. <laughs> and there are other moments where I'm like, okay, let's use them all. So. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's super helpful. You've been a therapist with a focus in trauma and OCD. 
what are some of the changes that you've seen personally over the course of your career? You know, I've definitely seen um, an increase, an incline in anxiety um, and OCD, especially since COVID. Um, that's been kind of a big thing, but I, I can't 100% put that on COVID. I think that the incline started before. I think a lot of it probably has to do with um, technology, has to do with our culture and kind of that instant gratification. And then when we don't get it, we get anxious. So there's there's multiple layers to it, honestly. Um, and I think that putting all of those layers together has kind of just really done a number for all of us. Um, I think on some level, anxiety is a natural thing that can be, um, you know, a normal thing that we all experience and then we move on from it, but definitely an increase as more of a, a clinical nature, um, children and adults just experiencing more anxiety symptoms that are affecting their day-to-day -day life. Mm -hmm. So how does that process work in, in, in children? Like, how do they, tell me about the process, how they end up to you. Like, do you do some testing, like, at, you know, to say, hey, this is, almost to diagnose it or how do you, how does that process work? Well, it's a couple of different things depending on the age of the child. But usually if someone's coming to me um, at that point, a parent's maybe someone's referred them and said, you know, I noticed your child's anxiety is really high in these moments. You know, perhaps they can talk to someone to get help through that. Um, so usually by the time they get to me, it's pretty high. Sometimes it's not, which is great. Um, but what I do is I usually do um, an assessment just to kind of see um, where they are with their anxiety. Um, again, depending on their age, that assessment will look different. And then I take assessments with a grain of salt. Um, I think it's important information, but it also, I just want to kind of interview the client and really get to know them because we can't really know what someone's experiencing in, until we start connecting with them. And so just kind of connecting with the child, getting a feel for what maybe um, where their anxiety pops up, what their triggers are, um, and then kind of going from there in that assessment. So assessment is definitely for me, it's not a like do an assessment, and then we know everything. Um, I think it's really important to kind of have a systemic approach to what we're doing, especially when we're dealing with kids, because um, kids go through so many things, and some are temporary, and some are more chronic and long-term. So it's just getting a feel for that is really important for me. Help us understand the role technology is playing as it relates to ours and our kids' overall wellness. Sure. So technology, well, let me first start off by saying I am not an expert in technology. Just getting on here, I'm sure you were able to recognize that I'm not an expert. Um, <laughs> Sorry, right. we got there. Yeah. <laughs> I um, I really try to learn from my clients. Um, and so not only am I doing research and studying the effects of technology, but I'm also asking the kids themselves, like, what are you into? What kind of social media apps are you into? And so I, I love to kind of get their tone because what I find is, is I can do a lot of research, but the research is usually about a year or two behind. And then when I talk to the kids, they're like, uh, yeah, no, we don't do that anymore. <laughs> right. Wow. So um, yeah. I, try to, I, I really, I tell them, I'm like, listen, I need you. Give me an update. And so it's not them telling on themselves. It's more just like, oh, okay, well, this is what everybody does. So I try to learn from the kids in a lot of ways, but also um, for my, I have two kids myself and I kind of want to know like, what are the dangers? What am I looking at? And there's so many layers to this topic that we could go into. And I think the biggest thing for me is, for myself as a parent and also to help other parents is to kind of know, okay, what our kids are dealing with. Um, they are in a, they're a generation um, that has had technology in their life, their entire life. 
we did not grow up in that generation, right? So we've kind of had to assimilate to the technology world. Um, I used to think I was pretty good at it. Now I'm like way behind. Um, <laughs> so, so I think for technology, the biggest thing is that um, we're all in this together, right? And um, I think we're all still learning. I did a, a presentation the other day and we were talking about, um, I kind of did like a true or false quiz. And I said, you know, one of the things was true or false. There's a lot of long-term studies that show the effects of technology in children. So do you believe that there's a lot of long-term studies out there? My guess is probably not. There's not, there's not yeah. a lot of long-term studies out there, hmm. right? So we're all learning on this topic and um, we're all trying to figure it out, but there are some bits and pieces that they're kind of discovering. And so maybe I can hit on a couple of those. Like one of them is technology is not necessarily the bad guy, right? Technology is um, something that has really helped a lot of us. Um, we're able to get on here today and do this due to technology. Um, but I think the biggest thing is, is not what technology is doing to us, but what it's taking us away from. Um, so when we didn't have technology, when you didn't have technology growing up, let's say you were 11 and 12, what did you used to do? Yeah, play basketball with my friends. Yeah, right? Some were <laughs> some were like running around on their bicycle. Um, most of us were outside. I don't want to say all of us, right? But a lot of us were outside. So there's a lot of benefits to being outside. And children learn so many things. Um, I mean, there's just so, there's like a whole list of things that you can learn just from interacting with your peers outside. One of them is just the social skills alone and learning um, cause and effect thinking, learning how to kind of find solutions to a problem, right? Like kids are out and they're maybe at a little stream and they're trying to dam something up and to, trying to create a little passageway with the stream, right? They're doing all these fun things outside. And they're having to come up with solutions. They're having to think creatively and outside of the box. Um, the other thing, too, is, is that they're learning fine motor skills and gross motor skills. So with technology, what we're finding is kids aren't outside as much anymore. They're not, they are being placed in situations where things are being figured out for them. So they're not having to, they're not creating the synapses of um, really kind of that learning how to, to um, cause and effect thinking, learning how to find a, a solution to the problem. Um, and, and now, I mean, I can pick this up and I can tell you a solution right away, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and I'm not saying I don't do that, but that is, that, is, yeah. <laughs> that is something that really technology has kind of taken us away from. Hmm. That's really interesting. And what do you, I, you know, you said there's no real long-term studies, but what, if you could, if you could project that into the future, like what kind of problems does that create? Like yeah. either either societal or for individuals. I mean, this is obviously this is total conjecture, you know, but I mean, what do you, what well, do you think? I mean, one of the things I tell people is technology is here to stay. So if you're trying to get rid of technology, let's say if you're speaking from a, a parent standpoint and you're trying to get rid of technology altogether, it's really not going to be your answer. Um, they are going to be exposed to it and engaged in it in school already, right? And there's a lot of great things that the schools are doing with technology. I mean, amazing things. And so I tell parents, like, I'm not going to come in and be this, oh, like technology is terrible and all these things are so bad. But what I do say to people is that 
what they're finding in these long-term research studies is that there is a stronger impact when a child is going through some type of uh, developmental hurdle or stage, so to speak. So if you think about that, you know, zero to three, birth to three, you your mind is growing the, the fastest and the most it will ever grow in birth to three, right? So when that's happening, you're creating all sorts of new neural pathways. Lots of things are happening. And so that's really a time where you want to keep technology away from your child. That's really a time where you really want to try to develop some of those skills, have them outside, touching things, doing things with their hands. Um, those things are so important. Communicating face-to-face. -face. Um, we learn cause and effect thinking also just from communicating, just seeing facial expressions. Um, so we're losing a lot of that if our face is in technology and parents aren't like looking directly at their child as an infant, you know, to a three-year-old. Um, so, you know, you've got, you've got that developmental stage, then you have like puberty and you have more, um, you know, gosh, all sorts of changes are happening during puberty. So you're looking at kids maybe from nine to 15, 16 that are experiencing a lot of changes. And if you really think about that, when is a child most apt to be looking at their phones? Yeah. That, I mean, during, teenagers. And yeah, I mean, yeah. absolutely. Video games. I mean, all that. Yep. All of it. Right. Yep. And so, you know, so you've got that and then they have another kind of growth spurt that happens around 19 that um, is kind of something to where they're saying it looking at to 19, 18, 19, 20, where you're really trying to figure out who you are, you're growing and your um, independence and so forth. And so really what the studies are saying right now is let's look at these developmental stages and how they're affecting um, our children, how they're affecting them if they have a high use of social media and so forth. So that's that's kind of the biggest results that they're finding now. And so what would I say to parents? I would say, well, let's just look at that. Like, okay, you can have a phone, you can be on these apps, but also what amount of time have you spent outdoors today? What have you done that has kept you active and physical? Um, really just exposing them to conversations, having, um, you know, family dinner night where there's no phones allowed, those kind of things. Because I think if we kind of get at parents too strongly and say, you've got to change all these things, I mean, who's going to do that, right? Yeah. I mean, it would, it would be a struggle for me and our family. So um, just baby steps really in looking at that. So in the Porter household, you guys, do you try to have one night a week where it's like, hey, we're going to have dinner face to face, no phones? Like, is that is that yeah. something tangible that a family well, can do to just so, stay connected? Right. Gosh, if you're just choosing one thing, just have dinner together and say no phone roll, right? Every now and then it'll be like someone will ask a question because we're in a really good conversation and they're like, oh, well, let me look it up real quick and see, right? And I'm like, ah, no, no phone, right? Yeah. Um, they're like, but it's not us on our phone. It's just looking it up, right? So, and we all have that tendency, but if you could just even declare like, okay, dinner time, no phones, right? Um, we have sports. We have two kids that are actively involved in things. It's hard to even have dinner together, right? Mm -hmm. So even if you can just start with like, okay, baby steps. I'm going to start with one night a week, but I really want to expand that as much as possible that we're having face-to-face -face conversations. So if we've had seasons in parenting where we feel like, all right, we've lost control. <laughs> like we need to, we need to, to reel this back in. Would you give the same would you give the same advice to someone that feels that way? Like, hey, if you could just take back one evening, you know, for for two hours where it's like, let's cook, eat and clean up together yes. or whatever. Is that I the would. best place to start? 
Yes. Um, because I think we all know it's a problem. I mean, it's a problem for me. I mean, mm-hmm. I, in, in moments of boredom, I'm, I'm going to quickly pick this up, right? Yeah. So, um, or moments of stress or moments mm-hmm. of avoiding, right? <laughs> we all have those things. So I think for me is like just really kind of meeting someone where they're at. Um, and it's overwhelming and we carry, we all kind of know as parents, right? So we carry the shame of like, oh my gosh, how long has my child been on the phone today? Right. How long have they been flipping through videos today? Right. And a lot of us probably don't want to admit that. (laughs) And, and so I love being in a group and just admitting it, right. Just just go ahead and like, let's just put it out there, take the shame away from it and then do something about it. Kind of going back to the whole anxiety thing. Let's just name it. Let's just put it out there. And say, okay, baby steps. Like, what can we do tonight to help with this? Um, so you're a breast cancer survivor. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that earlier. Um, how has your cancer journey changed your perspective on life? Mm-hmm. And how has it impacted your wellness? That is, it's a big question. Um, I, I would say, gosh, just impacting my life. I've learned a lot about myself in crisis, probably been one of the the bigger crises that I've experienced in my life. Um, so I, I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about what it means to quote unquote survive, right? And I don't mean survive cancer. Um, what I mean by that is kind of going into survival mode. Um, and I learned through my treatment, my diagnosis, all of the things I was 100% in survival mode. And I was really good at it. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I would get compliments. They're like, oh, you're doing so well. And you just, you handle it so well. And you're such an inspiration. And you're like, oh, thanks. Okay. That feels good. But the reality is there, there's no other option. Like you're, you're literally just surviving. Right. And, um, and so I learned a lot about myself through that process. And I learned that, um, you know, for me, I'm a, a Christian and I learned that God literally kind of held me up through that process and really pretty much carried me through because I didn't have um, the bandwidth to really sit down and think about what was happening to me. Um, and so I survived. I did things to help myself. I did things to help other people that were struggling with what I was going through. Um, I I just... I felt more empowered by doing that. And so, um, but, you know, as I kind of phased out, um, February will be 10 years um, since I was diagnosed. And it's it's crazy to me. Some of it's a little bit like a blip in time in a way. And, um, but what I learned is that really from the time that I was done with treatment till now is really where the feelings and the emotions and all the stuff came out. Right. Um, And again, going back to anxiety, that is really, and and working with so many other women who are breast cancer survivors, that's really where it doesn't feel like magic. That's really where the magic happens. Um, That's where we, um, our body is like, okay, you are, you are healed you are doing better now. And then the body's like, and now it is time to release everything that you just stuffed inside. Right. And so, um, a lot of people would like to use the terminology, the new normal. And, um, I tell people a lot, and this is always, I'm always preface it with, this is going to sound crazy, but when I, someone told me I was cancer free, I was excited. I was happy, but I wasn't thrilled. 
And um, to really back that up and say, I, they're like, what do you mean you're not thrilled? Like you're cancer free. Well, to, to, for someone to declare that is really scary because all of a sudden you have, you have all these doctors when you're diagnosed, all these people, um, you know, basically at your, I don't want to say back and call, but they're all helping you. All eyes are on you and they're getting you through something. Right. And then all of a sudden you're on your own. It's kind of like being a parent when they let you leave the hospital with your child and you're like, uh, what do I do? Um, I, I found that, um, it was really scary for me to take that step forward. And, um, and that's when my anxiety really kind of started to come out of like, well, are we sure that they got it all? Are we sure? So, so when you ask me from the perspective of what, you know, what have I learned? I will say I've learned a lot about myself and I've been able to, um, every situation is different, but I've been able to at least warn other people like, Hey, I know this part is tough. You're in survival mode, but I, I kind of want people to know that it it doesn't end quite there, right? Um, I think once you have a diagnosis of cancer, it lingers in different ways and you tend to kind of adapt to what that looks like. And we're always trying to better ourselves, but it is, it's just a diagnosis that, that lingers. And I, you know, especially in working with women who either have stage four breast cancer or, um, you know, maybe earlier stage breast cancer, it's all kind of this, you know, it's different, but it's the same in terms of, um, it doesn't, it doesn't end after treatment. And that's what I've learned about myself. And I try to carry that on, but it also has given me a perspective of like, okay, you know, there's some things in life that aren't as important as what they used to be for me. Right. Um, there are some things that perhaps I would get upset about, become more emotional about that. I realize I don't need to do that anymore. Right. Um, I can, really kind of look at the reality of my situation, bring myself back to the present and say, am I okay right now? And I am, right? And I'm blessed and I'm grateful for that. And I'm going to kind of try to go from that standpoint. Do you find that you maybe watch someone else who hasn't had a similar experience making big deals out of things where you're like, gosh, it's just not a big deal. Like yeah. you find yourself doing it, not judging, but just like, oh man, like you just it's not, it's not important. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I would say on my bad days, I am judging, right? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Then on my good days, I'm like, Oh, I wish they knew. Right. Mm. Like I wish yeah. they knew, like it's, it's not um, as important as they think. Right. I, you know, the farther I um, slip away from, you know, kind of, or the farther I get away from my original diagnosis, What's really interesting for me is that I kind of have like, I ebb and flow out of this. The farther away I get, the more I get caught up in the icky, messy stuff of life that I would maybe say five years ago, I'd be like, it's not that important, right? And so it's also really interesting that, um, you know, kind of life just swarms in again at some point. Um, and so I'm trying to be really cognizant of the idea of like, you know, let's really look and see what's important here and how I prioritize what's important. Well, even, I mean, even within the breast cancer world, there is a, almost like there's like a competition, um, which is, sounds crazy, but there's like this, like, oh, well you have stage one or you have this, or you didn't have to do chemo or you didn't do radiation. Right. And so even within that world, sometimes, sometimes it's more of just wanting our story out. Right. But, um, I'm big on talking about grief and I don't care what stage you're in, what you've been diagnosed with. Um, we are all experiencing loss 
and we're all grieving, right? Mm -hmm. And and I think that's the most important thing is to look at this and say, we're all grieving here and still grieving. I mean, I'm 10 years out and I'm still grieving. And I think that um, that's the important thing is to, again, name it, recognize it, and just know, like, okay, where am I in this process? It's, I'm curious to get your take on this. This wasn't in the, uh, no, yeah. in the script that I, that I sent to you, but I am curious. I feel like in my own life, grief, you can't really avoid because it shows up whether you're ready for it or not. I feel like trauma, you can avoid for a for a season, but it will rear its head. Like there's, you know, um, because everything that happens to us throughout our life is connected. I don't know. I have no science to back that up. That's just my own personal experience. Is that absolutely? So let me. I mean, I'll speak on this a little bit. Please, so, I'd love to. Um. So here's the reality. So when we experience trauma, I don't know if I said this the other day, but when we experience trauma, it is not the trauma as much that affects us, right? Um, and then this is why all trauma is kind of relative. I mean, it's all kind of the same in a way, even though I look at it and I say like, oh, if someone, you know, we, we measure trauma, right? And we look at it and we're like, oh, but the reality is trauma in itself is not what causes the problem. So what causes the problem is having that felt sense of safety when we experience the trauma. And that's not to say that sometimes we don't have people in our life that are there for us, but did we allow them to be there for us? Did we, did they sit with us in our discomfort or did they try to fix our discomfort? Right. And so a lot of times that trauma, either a, we didn't allow anybody to come in and sit with us, um, from a, um, you know, therapeutic standpoint or B, um, there wasn't a felt sense of safety there. There was maybe shame around something. There was maybe um, fear. So I, I couldn't let anybody sit with me and just sit with that discomfort, right? I was too afraid to release some of that. And so that's really where trauma impacts us is that we have an amazing brain that God gave us and our nervous system, our fight or flight system is there for a reason, right? And when we experience trauma, it shoots all of these hormones, chemicals into us to get us to prepare for danger, right? And to kind of run from the bear. And so all of that stuff is meant to be discharged. And if it's not discharged, then that's how the trauma stays in our body, right? So really what you're talking about is that the trauma is the body. It's the body that's remembering the trauma, not as much our mind. We can, we can kind of repeat back what happened to us, but it's really our body that we're afraid of the most getting into that, um, our nervous system, getting into that response. Wow. That's incredible. So, so when you talk about like, okay, so then, then I experience another trauma and I'm like, whoa, why is this other one coming back? Right. Well, yeah. I have a great picture, meme, GIF. I don't know what it is, but anyway, it's this, this person and it, and it has this big rock on its back and it says trauma. Right. And then he's kind of leaned over and he's carrying it on his back. And then there's another little rock on there and it's maybe a smaller trauma or maybe lost my job or maybe like different little pictures of rocks that are adding on. And so at each, you know, little diagram, it shows him with another rock on his back. And the reality is, is that me losing my job in an isolated sense is hard, but I would be able to process and work through it. But me losing my job when I still have that huge trauma rock on my back and I have all these other little traumas and maybe another big one, it's like carrying a 
you know, a, a mountain on my back. And so the great depiction of this is that you see this, this creature, right? And he's carrying all these trauma rocks and there's like a little step that he's got to step up onto, right? And he goes and he gets there and then he sees this little step and he like just break down. I can't do it. Like, I can't do this step. And this other person comes up and they're like, you know, dude, it's just a step. Like, just step up, right? That is really a great definition of trauma. It's like the slightest little thing is going to knock me over at this point because my bandwidth is done for. It's kind of like you said with your body, like, I can't do it anymore. And so really, not that you were you were responding to a big trauma, but it still is also like your mental capacity. It's just, it's too filled up. You have too many boulders on your back sometimes and we all do and we never unload them. And so that's the biggest, that's, that's really where the trauma starts affecting us. Wow. But, you know, I would say one of the things that, um, I've stumbled across, across this recently and it's been so powerful and I've already been able to use it in a lot of ways. Um, is when we're experiencing something that's really hard, right? Let's say someone has like a really bad day, especially helpful for children. You experience something really hard, right? And you're like, there's nothing I can say about all the negative things that happened to my child or to maybe a client or something. I mean, they happened. I can't take it away. I can't change it. I can't fix it, right? So one of the things that I say to a lot of people is, so God always gives us a hidden present, I love the idea of the hidden present, right? So in any type of really hard situation, sometimes God doesn't answer that. He doesn't fix it. He allows us to go through it, right? But sometimes he gives us a hidden present. And I even do this with my clients who are not um, Christians. And I say, listen, there's always like a hidden present in there. Now we could argue who that's from, but there's always one there, right? And um, And so I I used it the other day and one of the great things I've used it with my clients is like, okay, well, when this person was being mean to me and they were saying all these things and then this happened, I'm like, okay, was there any hidden present in all of that? A little gift that you got and received and all that. And they're like, well, you know, my friend so-and-so really stood up for me and I was kind of surprised and they walked me through that entire thing. So yeah, I guess that friend was really a hidden present for me. Yeah. And so what it does is it allows us to switch our thought process. And so I'm always kind of like, like people say when there's like a natural disaster, like look for the helpers, right? You know, Mm -hmm. people say that again all the time. But for me, it's like our kids are going to go through some really tough stuff, right? They just are. And for me, it's like, what, where, where was the hidden present and all of that? Where was the hidden gift? And if I can get my kids and I can talk to them about that on a regular basis, then I'm going to start creating a mind shift for them. Like to where I don't even have to ask them anymore. And they're going to say, well, this happened to me today, but let me tell you about my gift, right? And so that is something I think is really important for parents to know, whether it's technology. Let's say you caught your kid on like some app and you're terrified and you're like, oh my goodness, or they've been exposed to something. Okay, was there any hidden gift in that? Like, did you get to have a great one-on-one conversation with your child? Did you get to really sit with them and tell them how much you love them? And just really have that one-on-one, whatever it is, right? I think we can always find one. And that's so interesting. And I, you know, I'd be curious to know, like having gone through your cancer journey, like what was the hidden, what was it? Maybe many, but is there, is there one specifically? Oh my gosh. I truly believe the hidden gift was that I got to meet 
some amazing people. I mean, hundreds of people that I never would have met. Um, and I've been able to, I guess, provide that felt sense of safety for someone else, right? Like been able to like walk them through it, even though we all have our own experiences, just being able to be like, Hey, like I get it. Me too. Right. I mean, I can tell my husband, I can tell my parents, my kids, but to be able to talk to someone else and just have that sense of safety was a huge gift. It was a world I was invited into that I didn't want to be in. Sure. Um, but once I got in there, the amazing things that happened um, were just such a gift for me. Name one habit you're trying to create or break this okay. year. A hundred percent work in progress, but I'm really trying to focus on it this year is just be more present. Hmm. Um, I, I'm, I'm trying to be more present. I'm trying to like, especially in front of my kids, like I'm not trying to purposely tie this into what we're talking about, but like, if they're talking to me, I'm really working on not multitasking and putting the phone down. It's what, we, what people in the field call pivot, right? Kind of like from friends pivot. Um, <laughs> it is, it is the pivot is, this is another simple thing, but the pivot is literally put my phone down and turn and look at them or say, okay, can I send this email real quick? And then I definitely want to talk, but that I am talking to them without my phone in front of me. That's a big one for me. And just being more present and doing that. What book changed your life more than any other book? Okay. So this is a really hard question because I love to read and I get so much from reading. Um, so I have two answers, really, I wrote them down so I made sure I said it right. Um, so one book that is amazing, it's called the boy who was raised as a dog. That sounds, you know, people are like, oh, fun. Let me read that. <laughs> um, but it's, it tells, it's, it's clinical in nature, but it has so much about loss and love and healing and that our bodies can actually do it. Right. Um, and it has a, lots of different stories. So that, that one has definitely changed my life. I'm currently reading one um, by Lisa Turkis, Tur Turkis, mm -hmm. I think I said it right. Mm -hmm. um, and it is, um, it's not supposed to be this way primarily written for women, but I'm like, oh my gosh, males should read this too. Um, but it's really talking about, I love how she kind of addresses, like, um, we're all kind of on a tightrope and we're, we're trying to find, um, solid ground, but sometimes we're too afraid to walk to the solid ground and we're too afraid to go back. And I feel like that is just grief in general. Like, what do we do? And so we just walk around on this tightrope all the time and wow. we're never fully sturdy. And she has so many nuggets in this book that I love. So yeah, the one I'm currently reading and then the, you know, the boy who was raised by a dog is a great one. If you were something other than a therapist, what would you be? I, I really cannot imagine. Um, I've always been in this field. I can't imagine being something different. But if you were to go way back, I was going to be a marine biologist. And <laughs> I love that. It was not to study. It was to do flips off of like, you know, whales and dolphins and <laughs> That's what like SeaWorld? Yes, SeaWorld. <laughs> now I know that wasn't like kind to them and all the things, but man, that was that was what I was gonna do. Like and I thought, well that you call that a marine biologist. So that was that was my future. That is awesome. I love that so much. Noelle, sincerely, thank you so much for your time. Uh there was so much rich content and things that you said that are so helpful for me in my own life and, and how I parent and um, I just really appreciate it. Thank you all so much for listening. It's an honor that you would spend time with me. 
Please like, subscribe, rate, and share. If you know someone that has challenges related to anxiety and depression, please share this with them just so they know they're not alone. Thank you for your time and for listening. We'll see you next time.